here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. I am Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the show. I sound a little loopy maybe today because I was on a 7 a.m. flight yesterday, East Coast, which is 4 a.m. Pacific time, which is still the time zone that I'm in because I was only in the uh, I was only on the East Coast for a couple days. So yeah, it's been a long day back here in LA, long flight, and thrilled to be back on the show. Wonderful, interesting, thought-provoking conversation today with news reporter Christy Lee. And I think the timing is really appropriate because I just recorded a podcast where it's just become so abundantly clear, if you haven't noticed by now, the truth no longer matters. And if truth doesn't matter... And people are so distracted by social media, well, then you have yourselves a science fiction movie like we are living through today. It's pretty much that simple. So if if truth, if the media, news media is no longer doing investigative journalism that may take weeks, months, if the Wuhan lab leak theory is no longer relevant because culturally we've just moved on to some other distraction... Well, that world is perpetuated. The world of confusion and science fiction is is perpetuated because truth doesn't matter and people don't care. So we need news reporters now more than ever, like Barry Weiss, who used to work at the New York Times, to try and find the truth. And that's why I thought the timing was so great to have Christy Lee on the show, because very similarly to Barry, Christy has gone out on her own, created Christy Lee TV on YouTube, Instagram. She is a journalist. She's been in journalism for almost, I think, 20 years or over 20 years. She had a gig in Fresno, and then she moved back to Texas, where she created her own news site on YouTube and Instagram. Again, it's Christy Lee TV. And I like one of her themes or areas that she touches on is media malfeasance. And she investigates all these areas where it's become very clear if you go underneath the surface, which Christy Christy does, it's abundantly obvious that the news media is lying to you. So, and again, this is so complicated right now, but if we don't have people that are interested in finding the truth... Uh, you've got yourselves a world that is more chaotic than you can ever imagine. So uh, I I thought it was a really thought-provoking and timely conversation. And she's already had on her show Peter McCullough, Ron Paul, and she also just had, do you remember Dr. Lee Meng Yan, the whistleblower, who was basically saying that this is a Wuhan lab leak Uh, She was on Tucker Carlson. Well, she was just on Christy Lee's show as well. Again, you can find the interview on Christy's YouTube, Christy Lee TV. As I said, you can find her on Instagram, at Christy Lee TV as well. I think she's really onto something here, and I think she's really passionate about finding truth, uncovering some of the malfeasance happening in the media. She's also... I, I touch, we touch on this a little bit also. She's, she's religious, and we also talk about faith. And if you know me, you know that I'm not particularly religious. So I'm always interested in speaking to people that do have a lot of faith that things are going to be okay. So that's it. 
Thank you so much to Christy for taking the time. Thanks to you for listening. You know where to find me on Instagram, at Eddie Cohn. I am eddiecohn.com is the website. Uh, the Spiritual Spiral podcast on Instagram as well. New record, new music is out on all, uh, all streaming platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp. Head over to eddiecohn.bandcamp.com to purchase my new record entitled, of course, fittingly, Dystopian Days. That's it, folks. I'll be back very soon next week with another conversation. Again, thank you, Christy, for taking the time to be on the show. And thanks to you for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. You know, I'm going to do this a little differently today just because I think I think it's important to get a little bit of your backstory. Um, and, and I'm actually from Ohio also, um, from Cleveland. That's awesome. Yeah. So wh- where do you live now? <laughs> yeah. I know it's been quite the journey. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in Round, I'm in Round Rock, Texas Okay. Now. Got it. Um, yeah. I'm curious... Before I imagine you went to college and went to you know media or journalism sort of school, but I, I guess I'm curious what made you curious and interested about getting into journalism, media, um, like way before I'm, I might be projecting here, but way before I started to sort of believe that the media's intentions may be more nefarious than we sort of were led on to believe as kids. But so way before that, where did your interest and curiosity towards journalism media sort of come from or, or what, what made you interested in it? Well, growing up in the 80s, um, nightly news was very much a part of every household. And since I did grow up in the 80s, I'm going to age myself. Uh, that was kind of the night routine. We'd watch the news. And my parents used to joke around because I was that annoying kid, always asking questions, sneaking around if I could see what they were talking about. And so they just made a joke and be like, oh, here comes a little reporter. And um to that end, my, my dad, he used to be in theater, and so he was very performance-oriented. And actually, I was quite shy, but I was, you know, the d- daddy's girl wanted to get his attention, so I would try to break out of my bubble and perform. And so it just made sense when deciding what I wanted to do, what path I wanted to take. I wanted to make my dad proud, so it was sure. like a perform a performance aspect I could do that I kn- knew he would he would jive with and like think was pretty cool. And um, also just having that stuck in my mind of like them always calling me a little reporter. And again, growing up in the eighties, the news was still, I think much more relevant then than it is now in the sense that we looked to our news anchors and as celebrities, you know, like that was a big deal. So um, those were kind of the, the draws and, so, I mean, fast forward to when I was actually able to achieve my dream job, being able to stand next to the Ron Burgundy of my childhood yeah. and report the news with him was definitely full circle dream come true. Um, but it's funny because, it, you know, whereas he like, and we even had conversations about this, like he was like, yeah, I was I was a huge big deal. Like I was a local celebrity. He's like, but now like people don't watch the news as often and so 
I don't, I don't think I was like quite as relevant as a main evening news anchor in my hometown as per se, you know, he was just because there's so many alternatives now. Right. So you, you got the gig out in California, I think. And, and was that sort of your, no, okay. <laughs> that's not how it worked out. Okay. So I was very, I was a homeschooled kid. Um, I didn't go into the school system and tell high school. So I went um, to college. Everything was in my hometown. Okay. I went to, went to college in my hometown. I, I worked at all four state local new TV news stations over the course of my career in my hometown, in addition to other stations like the Christian Broadcasting Station in our hometown. So, I mean, I, I did like everything that you could do in my okay. hometown. And so when California came calling, I felt that that was a now or never type thing. I'd done everything in my hometown, but I felt that I was missing something. I was getting bored of doing the same stories every year because when you're in the same market for so long, you end up recycling stories. Okay. And now it's the German American festival season. And I'm going to report about that again for the, the sixth or seventh time. So since also curiosity, just this innate curiosity that I have for all things was there, I was curious and wanted to step outside of my bubble, if you will. Yeah. And so when California came calling and they really wooed me, they, you know, gave me a huge moving bonus to move out there and everything. I just felt like, okay, well, God wants me to check out what's going on in California. So that is what brought me to California is just a, a now or never, you know, my kids were getting older. I'm like, I got to do this now. If I'm going to ever do right. it. Or I'm going to be stuck in my hometown for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's fun. Do you know who Barry Weiss is uh, from the New York? Well, she's not with the New York times anymore, but she, she left. Um, it sounds familiar, but well, she, I, you're just, I guess, we're sort of getting in towards an area where you some of the parallels towards her, I, I think, are similar. She got this dream gig at the New York Times just maybe six months ago, two years ago, and she definitely leans left. Um, but she also has this way of being objective and down the middle. And she it became very clear to her that uh, she couldn't be that at the New York Times. And she was getting, you know, lambasted and ridiculed for bringing presenting stories that she felt were important. Um, she couldn't share them, and so she left like three, four months ago. And she created. Um, she's over at Substack now, and she's reached. She's passed like a hundred thousand followers on Substack, and she's just. She has this amazing podcast. So I, and she wrote this amazing um, exit letter that became public. You should check it out. Her name's Barry Weiss, and I think. I guess I'm bringing her up because I get the sense that I don't know. Um, I know you were let go in, I think, 2020 um, from from this news station. But I, I'm curious, though, like, was there because now what you're doing on your own, were you all before you left that station? Were you getting a sense that something wasn't? right with the news or it wasn't about truth per se or were you so there might be there's sort of like a couple things a couple layers here but do you know what I'm asking and suggesting yeah so when I was in Ohio um as basically with the integration of social media I had started feeling more uncomfortable with the direction of where news was headed hmm. for example uh when social as social media became important there were things that were disconcerting and disappointing, such as at every station that I worked 
at since the integration of social media, they always had a big screen that showed where everybody in the station was at in terms of social media engagement. And so it became competitive. And I found myself, well, you know, I worked on this story for two weeks and I'm really proud of it. And I would post it and I would get eh, a little bit of it of engagement. And then I was like, oh man, now I'm number three and I'm a super competitive person. So I'm like, I got to get number one on that board again. And so I would post a selfie and that would always get way more engagement than something I had totally put my heart into. And so it was just like this icky feeling like, man, like I'm doing this to because I'm competitive and I want to be at the top board. But how sad is that, that a stupid selfie will get more engagement than a story really put my heart into and worked hard on. But I was like working within the system, if, if you will. But it also showed that news was getting away from news. There's nothing news about posting a selfie and like, hey, I got a slushie today. Who likes slushies? <laughs> Why did how does that have anything to do with news? Right. It absolutely doesn't. And um, so I, I was already getting uncomfortable with that. And I mean, like I said, I admit my competitive nature, I was like complicit in that direction because I was working within the system. But you got praised and lauded for like, oh, Christy's at the top of the chart again this week. You know, you got praised for that. Um, and so I also felt uncomfortable also with just the fact that depending on how you posted a story, if you asked a question that would essentially get people wanting human nature to share their opinion Hmm. and not only share their opinion, but also disagree with one another, that would bring up engagement and engagement would bring up more followers and more followers for the station would bring up advertising dollars. So as advertising dollars year after year that I was in this business would wane from actual television commercial sales and be more about the online and driving people to the website, driving people to the social media sites. That is another red flag of like, wait a minute, like we're trying, we're essentially trying and promoting getting people to argue in the Mm -hmm. comments because that increases engagement and that helps us keep our jobs. That was essentially the message we would get is is like we want to make sure everybody stays employed so you got to get out there you got to be posting on twitter you got to be posting on facebook you got to be increasing our engagement you got to be driving people to the website and it's just like it was away from the foundation of journalism which is to make our communities better (laughs) right wow wow (laughs) novel thought these days like doing journalism to be a voice for the voiceless to expose corruption Wow, novel idea there to to hold those in power accountable. Hmm, where has that gone? And these are so foundational to journalism and they're thrown out in favor of selfies with slushies and, (laughs) and driving people to online media. So that was kind of progressive. I saw that happening. So then I, I went to California. Sorry, I kind of took a long no, time to get fine. to the point. No, it's fine. This is good. But I went to California and I was really excited again about, oh, maybe I'll have some new things to talk about, different things happening in a community. This community is going to be a little bit different. So I'll have different subjects. 
for Toledo, where I was uh, reported for so many years, water quality was very important. We had um, algae issues and things like that. So it was so many stories about like water quality. Right. Like it's boring after a while. Um, so I'm like, well, this is a totally, I'm on the other side of the country. I'll have new things to talk about. What's important to the Central Valley of California? And then I get there and it, I got there March 16th. And you know what that was. March 16th of 2020 was really when the pandemic oh, right, uh, yeah. kicked off. So I found myself thrust into a brand new community, no family around, single mother of three. Um, and I was thrust into this situation where I was not talking about anything different. I was just along with everybody else across the country whose topics every day were pandemic, politics, pandemic, politics, pandemic, politics. And um, so there was that aspect of it. But the fact that the narrative was so controlled that we couldn't actually like dig deep. I felt like we were getting press releases, regurgitating them. We They would have um, health health Zoom meetings that mm-hmm. we could hop on to, but it was always just what what they were saying. There wasn't really digging deeper into it. And as this went on, I um, my co-anchor and I were very like-minded in the, this novel idea of giving sources, like where's the source for this? Um, this novel idea of presenting both sides. Whoa, I know it's extreme. And um, also this idea that we shouldn't be sensationalizing everything and throwing in all of these adjectives. So he and I were very like-minded on that. And when we were going over our scripts, we would talk to our news director and say like, uh, I can't find a source for this. Or um, I I complained about a national, um, well, it was a network so, so basically when you do news, you have network stories mm-hmm. So that come. So like we were a Fox affiliate, so we would share some Fox stories, but we'd also had access to CNN. So we would run some CNN packages. And then we would also have our national correspondence for we were owned by Sinclair Broadcast Media Group. And one story in particular, uh, I wrote at length of everything that was wrong with that. I'm like, this script is completely littered with uh, adjectives that I could do nothing about. I felt very uncomfortable introducing this story, seeing that there were all these adjectives in there. Um, I didn't see a source given here. Hmm. And then the only thing I could do to try and balance this story out was in my tag, um, also of no, and then add add the other side. Right. Like that was the most I could do. And and I voiced this and my news director was, was supportive of that and passed it along to uh, Sinclair Broadcast Group because I was very thorough on the issues that I had in correspondence with journalistic standards. Well, fast forward two months later of having to go through this, uh, he ended up, my news director ended up being fired. And um, I, he was also, like I said, pushing back on what news was becoming. And right. then it was just a month later that I was laid off. Now my laid off document, everything says it was just pandemic related, that I was one of hundreds across the country. And that very well may may be, I mean, being a main evening news anchor, I was gonna be on the top of their budget line. Um, So it's kinda, and I was the newest face. So there's very much a possibility it was just a coincidence that it was just innocent, you know, way for them to cut money. But there is always also that nagging feeling was also convenient because I was pushing back. So I I really don't know (laughs) on that note. You brought up so many points that I (laughs) want to try to zero in on. But I think the one thing I'm thinking about 
is the timing with the whistleblower and Facebook. And uh, I have I have these quote unquote friends on social media will say, you know, Facebook is just a mirror of our a mirror of our society, and or they will say. They're just doing, it's the same as advertising, you know, from 30 years ago. It's the same as the television 20 years ago. But I, I, and I think it's really challenging for me to make this point. I don't know if I'm doing a poor job of it, but Facebook and Instagram are twisting the screws on human behavior and psychology where truth isn't important anymore. And it's also creating a deeper value to people in the sense that if, they are giving people all the tools to make them feel like they are a celebrity, like they are really important. Like if they see that number, 10,000 followers, 100 likes, that does something to their brain where that they value those 10,000 followers more than the six people that may live in their home or uh, the 100 likes that they get on the selfie or the food pic. That is so, they, they want to match that number again. So to me, it's not as innocuous as just watching different strokes or family ties or like the Cosby show, you know, uh, at home as we did 20, 30 years ago or something. This is a whole new way of, of changing human beings' behavior and priority. And your story about how even at this news station where you guys are getting rewarded for not even being truthful or being creative or being uh, nuanced or having a unique perspective, that, that's not a reward anymore. And I think we are... I'm, I'm, I know I sound negative here, but I am very concerned, or maybe we're already in the, in the muck of it, but I don't see how this can possibly spin to a direction where uh, we get out of this unscathed. I think that social media is an enormous human experiment that we were not ready for. I, I think it's accelerated so fast and... I don't think that we were ready for it as a society on how to combat the enormous damage it does to not only society, but our individual families. And we have so many more things to worry about, even in parenting. So many things that we are unaware of when it comes to parenting. I did an interview recently with a technology expert who also works with uh, counselors and, and she she's tries to train parents on technology to safeguard their children. And, but again, because she has the counseling hookups and everything, she can shed so much light on things. Just there's certain images that children are not ready to see that are so easy for them to see. And what that does when, when children are exposed to things that they are not emotionally or mentally grown enough to, to see, it can create, she described a trauma response. And the trauma response can, can rear itself in terms of grumpy behavior, at, moody, being like uh, sleeping a lot. This, these are signs of trauma behavior, but they can be misread by parents. Oh, well, this is my, my tween or my teen, and it's normal for them to be grumpy or moody or not sleeping well. Like that's normal. Right. But actually, those are signs of trauma. So they might be exposed to something on social media and not really know how to sort it out in their undeveloped brains and actually be having a trauma response that we miss. 
am I, it's weird. You know, my podcast, I, I think I became intrigued in how our culture is responding to social media and how it is changing people's priorities. It's changing who's quote unquote important, who we should be paying attention to. And, you know, we, we all are sort of our own gatekeepers, but the strange thing is, is that we're, we're gate, we're, we're being our own gatekeepers by our emotions. And and I think Facebook and Instagram know this. And and that's what's Mm. like, I think we need to, and I'm not anti-money. I'm not, I I think, you know, companies should certainly make money and, and they should make what they can, for lack of more articulate verbiage there. But what I am against is when these companies are being run by egomaniacal megalomaniacs where the primary goal is only money. And when the engineers of their software are turning the screws where it's not just it's a natural feed of information that I'm seeing. And this even goes to the news. I mean, the news is, it's its not a natural news feed anymore. It's what do we do to change the headline to get clicks? What does Instagram and Facebook do to change the algorithm so it's not a puppy pick that I'm seeing, but maybe something else that's going to create a reaction uh, that will then get me to stay on the platform? I mean, this to me is much more destructive than just, oh, an innocent television is in my living room and let me watch uh, a television show. And it is very much orchestrated. We would go to trainings and obviously, again, social media became so important element of the news cycle that in our trainings, we were taught how to make our posts more engagement, engaging. And part of that was like, instead of putting a sentence that encompasses your whole story, find out a way to ask a question. And if it's a controversial question or one that would inspire opinions, that's even better because people will be more engaged. I mean, we were actually taught this. And what you'll also find is if people are able to think of a question or a more controversial way to present their story, what I'm finding now is that what the question is or what the controversial statement is above the link to the article, Mm -hmm. it sometimes doesn't even apply or barely applies to the article. So what I would challenge people to do is, I know it's against human nature because we're such a fast society, but try this out for a week. Try and see what the question or the short statement is above the article from your news stations when they post stories and then actually read the article and ask yourself, was that like a summary or was that the right, does that question even apply to what I read in this article? Because I think you'll be surprised to find that nine times out of 10, it either is misrepresenting what the article finds or is a very manipulative way to get engagement with, counting on the fact that people aren't going to click and read the whole article. Yeah. So I'm sort of struck in this world. I feel like there's too much information. Like we're just being uh, lambasted with just nonstop news and everybody has a blog and everybody, you know, anybody can put up their news site on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. And I understand, I think it's a great concept, but I do wonder if it's, 
creating more of this division. Uh, there was I'm watching the show Billions on Showtime that I really like, and and one of the characters says to the main um, the lead character, she asks him, uh, "Is there anything that I could say or do to change your mind?" And his answer is, "No, there's nothing that you could say or do." And I do feel like we are in this, and I don't know how much the news is responsible for this. Um, I feel like I can present all of this information about the damage of Instagram. I can talk about the damage of you know vaccine mandates and how that's actually causing more division. I don't know if anybody outside of people that already agree with me, I don't know what it takes to get that other side to even be open to these other perspectives. It, it feels like sort of to your point earlier when you were talking about your news station, they just want you to sort of just feed what you're being told and just keep you know smashing it over people's head, kind of like Dr. Fauci on the television just all day, every day, 24 seven, just people have to like believe a particular narrative and that's it. I think that all of these different messages contribute to this cognitive dissonance where we are kind of in this constant state of anxiety and I, I don't know what's going on. So it's crazy because my, what my purpose is has definitely been evolving and I'm open to it changing. But what I thought I originally wanted to do when I left mainstream news is, is like, man, I just want to do journalism the right way like and have just both sides and no adjectives and facts and this is what I was saying at first but what I found is my, now my, more of my mission is like man I just need to do what I can to try and wake people up hmm. whatever it takes to wake people up to bring back critical thinking make critical thinking great again right, right. um so my my mission is to try and bring people behind the curtain and ask more questions. And the way that I'm doing that is now every week I, I analyze from, I mean, I'm, I spent 20 years in journalism. I graduated and this isn't to brag, but just to give you some perspective, um, 20 years in journalism, I, I earned the outstanding broadcast student award. I was, I had a 4.0 in my journalism sequence. So, so I'm not just this random person that doesn't know what journalism is supposed to be. So I want to take what journalism is supposed to be and be able to pass it along to people so they know what to watch out for and when it's not journalism, just so that they're aware of it. And so what I do every week is I take the fundamentals of journalism and I measure those against what's being put out there. And I call it media malfeasance and I try and do it every week and I just kind of run through who I think are the worst bad actors and, and why what they were doing was not fundamental journalism, was not having integrity and was not being fair. Um, I basically always say like to, to show you what is, is hidden, sensationalized, uh, ignored, or just plain false or something is what I usually say. And um, I try and do that every week because I'm, I'm hoping to wake people up and, and bring up their skills and spotting when it's not done right, because these people need to be held accountable because they're working in a system where basically for a long time now they've been rewarded for being a bad actor hmm. of what journalism is supposed to be. And so what I want and hope is that people will start to push back and be like, hey, so-and-so from my local news station, why did you use so many adjectives in that article? I mean, isn't that your opinion? Or were you hmm. giving me the facts or your opinion? Or challenge other news anchors and 
where did you get that source? Where's the data? Or why isn't this important? I just hope that people ask more questions and start challenging the narrative, no matter what side, because that's the other element of this is that they have divided our country in such a way that everything is buzzwords and everything is labels. And if you're not extreme on this side, then you're automatically labeled as extreme on the other side. Like it's laughable to me that people are like, oh, Christy's becoming a right-wing extremist. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I'm like, I am completely not that. I'm a registered independent. Um, the only thing that I, I am open about that I don't have a problem being open about is that I'm found, I, my foundation is in my faith. Like I, my identity is in Christ first and foremost. And so I don't want to pick a team. I don't want to be a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative. I don't have an interest in being any of these things. I just have an interest in truth and I, and holding those in power accountable, no matter which side they're on period. And that I think is what's glaringly obvious right now is there are not enough people willing to challenge those in powerful positions. And that's so fundamental to journalism. I mean, people are like literally taking press releases and just spouting them out as news, as opposed to digging a little deeper or examining conflicts of interests or motivations. Why is that? You know, why, why, how come for 20 years, you know, in my earlier career, we would say experts say, or doctors say, but now all of a sudden it's just like, this certain group of mm. doctors is saying this, but we are going to ban, censor, and ridicule this group of doctors. They're still doctors. I mean, can't we hear from doctors with different opinions? Why are we we choosing to hear from one set of doctors and then another? I mean, and these are not quack jobs, okay? I, I have had two videos removed from YouTube already, and one is a toxicologist that's been working for decades, tons of experience and and should be allowed to have her opinion at least heard, but she's like been banned and censored everywhere. And then another person that, you know, um, fought the Ebola crisis, like, Mm -hmm. and was commissioned by the department of defense. And suddenly the mainstream wants to label him as like some quack job. No, he's very much an expert in this field. Maybe he's not saying what you want him to say and that's Okay. Let's hear from those that disagree with him, but let him still have a voice. Voice for the voiceless used to be a tenant of journalism, and it tended to mean those that we ignore, minorities, things like that. But I've started to use it as a tenant of journalism, reminding of this tenant of journalism, voice for the voiceless, because people are literally having their voices effectively taken away. Mm -hmm. When people cannot be heard because you've taken them off of every internet platform, I mean, so, so now, I mean, I do whatever I can to, to emphasize their voice because that's what I believe in as a journalist is a voice for the voiceless. Like you're taking this person's voice away. Well, I'm going to do whatever I can to amplify it then because that's supposed to be a tenant of journalism. How, how do you think this happened? I, I mean, I, and I know I point the finger a lot towards uh, social media and Facebook, but, you know, you bring up a great point where it's, it's strange. Like, journalism, journalists, I, I felt, and even I'm curious, too, like, if somebody brings up another point of view, 
I want to hear more about it. But I feel like now the response is to attack them and and name call them. And, and I, I don't I don't know how fresh or new this this sort of um, this role is or is it new or how did this happen? I, I don't know. I'm still sort of in shock by it all. I think we're a little bit deceived on that and though too, because we're working with Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And again, if anyone bothered to look at the conflicts of interest there and how enmeshed they are in preserving a certain narrative, well, then it's any wonder that they're going to put out there and make it seem like, oh, these are crazies and everybody thinks that, but that's not reality. It is not reality. It's just they get their their pages and their comments and get amplified on mm-hmm. these platforms. So it makes you feel like you're a minority. But if you just go out and actually have actual conversations with people, again, I know a novel thought, you know, to actually go talk to people. Right. Um, I definitely don't find that to be the case. I have friends on both, both sides. I've always tried to be very open-minded and objective. And just this morning, I was on another podcast. It's called 419 Grind, Grind from my back home. Mm-hmm. And um, they've had me on a, a couple of times because, again, I was like the main news anchor back there. And they've just kind of followed up with me. And it is um, a, a podcast uh, for the black community, essentially. Mm-hmm. So I always think it's funny that they have me kind of like, hey, I'll be, I'll be all up on this, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I just I was railing about fighting with my school board and how now they're trying to label parents as like domestic terrorists for having having issue. And I was just explaining to them, so now that issue is there's actual pornographic material in our school libraries. And um, as much as I could say on the radio, I, I said, and I was like, this isn't what they're trying to frame it as is like a gender equality issue. I'm like, no, pornographic I- images, whether they're between homosexuals or between straight people is also never okay. Yeah. Either way, should not be in our libraries, period. And of course, they were agreeing me. I'm mean, like, see, there are things that we agree up- upon. And and they were getting upset as well. And so I'm like, see, you because you're thinking about your own children and having access to this, not only having access to it, but being it, getting pushed on you. And have having teachers say like, now don't tell your parents, you know, this is not what any parent wants to hear is happening in their school. And so I was saying what we need to do is I know that that this particular podcast audience is more on the left, we'll say, but this is something that we can all agree on that we, if we're upset about this, we should have every right to go to the school board and be like, why are you providing this material to my child? And why are you telling my ch- children to keep things from their parents? That's like something a lot of parents can agree on. So what I was telling them is they want to keep us so divided, but there are issues that we should all be in agreement on. And this is a big one. Stay away from our children. (laughs) And, and, and so it's refreshing to be on a, a podcast like, like theirs, which some people would be like, think would maybe not be my audience, but no, they're very open to the fact that this is getting out of hand. I guess that sort of leads to my last area. Uh, are you okay with time, by the way? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> are, I, I feel like um, I 
lived a you know a decent amount of time before the smartphone, and I, I assume you probably not maybe as much as I did, but you remember the world before cell phones. Oh yes, um, one hundred. Yeah, and I. I, I see this generation of kids under the age of 10 that grew up in the smartphone world. And now they're being, at least here in California, the kids are being forced to wear masks even under the age of 12 in schools. And I, what is, are you concerned? Are you worried? I mean, what are the battles that sort of you're facing? Uh, you kind of touched on a little bit, but I, I'm just, I can't imagine how kids are going to come out of this unscathed emotionally. I mean, I, and I look, I know we all have baggage and emotional issues that we all have to fight through. And we would have had them anyway, if it weren't for cell, even without cell phones or without having kids wearing masks when they're in school outside. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I can't help but think that um, this is really creating a generation of, of kids that I, I think I'm, I'm kind of a hypochondriac and a germaphobe, and, and I don't think the world needs more, more people like that. But it certainly feels like they're just breeding those types of people. It's all scary. And what I've been getting a lot of pushback in is it exposed my particular school district's school board and have shown how tyrannical that has been. <laughs> become and and also the pornography in the schools all of these things people are like what are you doing why don't you just take your kids out of the school already like and my thought is is um i'm having difficult conversations with my children i'm trying to prepare that prepare them for uh being part of of a broken society and asking the Mm. right questions and teaching them to push back so there's value in that and the other reason i haven't pulled the trigger on that is because I'm like, okay, so if we all that have these concerns take our children out, what about the kids that are left behind? Maybe their parents are okay with it, but I care about all kids and I care about our future generation. And so some of us need to stay in the game, if you will, and fight back, not just for my children, but for your children, even if you don't appreciate it. (laughs) And so that's like basically where my motivation is coming from. I am very concerned about the completely unscientific enforcement of like mask wearing. If you are an investigative journalist, or even if you're not, for goodness sakes, you can find the evidence that is from reputable sources. I always like to try and dog you like you're just finding random sources. No, I go to the FDA, I go to the CDC, I go to government documents. There is no compelling evidence that the masks do a darn thing. And what happened to the scientific part of the scientific method of, of evaluating risk versus rewards? Mm. Suicides are up. They're on the rise for our children. There are more children in most places across the country. Well, actually, I'm going to say every because I know how low the death rate for COVID is in, in children. Suicides far outweigh any danger of COVID in our children. And so what are you doing? Are you listening to leadership to enforce these mask mandates to bring in a bunch of money for your school? Because we also know that that's happening across the country. Mm -hmm. Schools are getting rewarded for having COVID-19 policies. So is it really just about the money for you? Because we know that that masks are not effective when you really look at the actual documents themselves, they don't have compelling evidence that they do anything, especially not for children. And yet we're 
covering our children's faces. We're having young children that, uh, I mean, I have two boys. They touch their face and they're disgusting. Right. <laughs> boys, little boys are gross. And so putting a mask on them and having them touch up their mask and everything, it, it's, it's actually, I worry about that making them sick yeah. as opposed to not having a mask on. And we're, it, all, there's also evidence that it can hurt their immunity if they're not exposed to to germs early on, then what are we doing to their immunity as far as allowing them to build up their immunity? There's, I mean, there's just so much to it, so much to it. And um, it's, it's heartbreaking. I've talked to a father that lost his 16 year old son um, days after getting the shot from an enlarged heart. One of the documented side effects mm -hmm. that you can find on the FDA website and um, go fund me shut his web his his website down to to earn, to earn money because he was trying to earn money for funeral costs and also to go to Washington because no one will listen to his story and where he's basically saying I thought I was doing what was best for my son if had I known that there was such a high risk for this you know basically you lied to me somebody should be held accountable I mean they better not they better not try and pump our kids I mean you're still in California where he's already saying like yeah it's gonna be mandatory move Get out. I mean, that's one thing I would say, get out of there. Like, no, you're not pumping these children uh, with a vaccine that has not had long-term studies. Our children should not be lab rats. Don't do it. Hmm. Do you want to get back into, um, I know you have two, I think probably young boys, but do you have dreams and hopes of being like on in I don't I don't even know the word mainstream media or you know back in local news or national news is that something or are you enjoying sort of like forging your own way right now what 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 do you prefer or maybe a little bit of both? Well, I laugh because sometimes when I have the tro trolls on my Facebook page, they'll be like, "Oh, she's just trying to get a job at Fox News," and I'm <laughs> like, "Actually, let me make this very clear. I have absolutely no interest in working okay. for Fox News." Let me put that out there because the thing is, is I, I don't, I think that they're at, right now, I think pretty much all of them are complicit mainstream news, whether it's far right, far left, whatever, it's both not okay. I, I'm not on one side or the other. I have to say that all the time because apparently some of these convictions people would identify as being right. But no, I have criticized Fox news and I've criticized CNN and MSNBC and, um, Basically, anything that is getting corporate dollars, I'm going to have issue with because I've seen how corporate controlled media operates and the major conflict of interest there. And so if they're not going to hold those in power and accountable, I'm going to do whatever I can, not only to hold those in power, power accountable, which is a foundation, te foundational tenet of journalism, but also to hold them accountable those that are not doing true journalism. And that's why I'm calling them out every chance I get. I don't know what the future holds for me. I'm always open to whatever God wants for me. I, I really want to always be acting in, I mean, acting as a good representative, <laughs> right. I guess. I mean, I, I, cause I, I mean, I've said this too. I have to check myself because a lot of these things do get emotional and you do get in these arguments and human nature is you want to win the argument, right? Um, so I, I do have to check myself too. Like, okay, Christy, is what you're feeling right now 
righteous anger or you get in too much into the emotions and human flesh. You know yeah. what I mean? So I, I do have to check myself on that. But again, I mean, I'm open to whatever God has for me next. Right now I am enjoying the freedom. And I'll, I'll say this real quick. Um, one thing that I did find kind of odd about it is when I went and I was given this opportunity to, to be independent, it, uh, it was very uncomfortable. It was very overwhelming. I had anxiety and I was thinking like, wow, like, what is that? Like, what am I, what am I feeling? And I, I feel like I identified that when you've been controlled for so long and you've had somebody telling you what to do and what to report on, you end up getting comfortable with that. So suddenly when, oh my gosh, I can talk about whatever I want. I can investigate whatever I want. Like, I don't even know what to do with this. And it kind of gave me like this revelation that I feel like that's what we're in danger of right now. That if we continue to just accept whatever we're told, if we continue to follow mandates, if we continue to um, inch by inch, step by step, uh, have more and more of our freedoms taken away, then we're in danger of if we were to ever get them back, feeling uncomfortable with that. And yeah. what a terrible thought that is, right? Freedom is beautiful, you know, and and the the freedom to be creative and it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I, the time is now to fight back because we don't want to ever get in a situation where we're ever feeling uncomfortable with someone not telling us what to do. Yeah. It, sorry, my cat is freaking out over here. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's my I have pets. Okay, I have yeah. Pets um, I guess I I am not a religious guy. And I am sorry. That's okay. No, well, but it, it is, but I also feel like it's creating some anxiety inside of me. Uh, I, I feel like it's hard for me to have faith that everything's going to be okay. And, and I guess I'm, I, I'm curious. I mean, look, the world can look very uh, dystopian and dark right now. Um, but is it your faith that everything's going to be okay? Or like at, at what point, like I, I'm trying to ask a question, but I'm also thinking things at the yeah. same time. It's almost like how much can we control or, or when do you know to just let it go? Or do you just put it all out there because, you know, deep down you have faith in God and, 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 and they have their best interest in you. I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time having faith that everything's going to be okay. Well, I think that there's even some division in those that do have faith and that are religious because there are some that are religious that are like, okay, well, God's got it. And, you know, we should just be submissive and, you know, render under Caesar what is Caesar. And so you have that element of the faith. And then you have those like me who are like, no, I stand on the biblical truth that God says, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. So he's given me a, a sound mind and I'm darn well going to use it because that is yeah. what he promises he gave me. And he promised he get, didn't give me a spirit of fear. So if the government, if mankind is trying to make me afraid, I have the biblical foundation and truth to fight against that because God did not give me that spirit. Humans are giving me that spirit to explain, I guess, where I'm coming from, from the faith element. And so, again, from the faith element, God loves righteousness, truth, and justice. So I, being made in his image, are, am going to fight for righteousness, truth, and justice. Now, 
also from the faith element, God is allowing some things to happen. But the Bible also says that whatever is done in secret, God will bring to light. So I stand mm. on that truth as well. And I think we're seeing it happen, which is, I think, exciting. So it is so, so bad. And so it's like we're, we're being thrown at like all this bad, terrible things. But there's a little bit of excitement behind that, behind that because I'm like, yep, all of that that they were trying to do in secret, it's being brought to light. I mean, just today, just today, um, I was searching on the school website for a book, an inappropriate book for children. I don't think any parent, again, wants their children to be reading about sexual acts. And um, I couldn't search it. And um, another parent followed up and they're like, yeah, we took those books out of our our library. Well, um, my daughter, I was like, see if you can check this out at the library. I can't find it online, but just to see if you can. And of course, like don't read it or don't look inside of it, but, but just see. And she, she was able to check it out. So they um, are also doubling down and pretending like they took these books out of the library by me as a parent, like not being able to search it as being in the school library. But she just proved they were lying because she checked it out today. And I'm like, praise Jesus. That was just done in secret is being brought to light. And I am I'm building my case. And those that need to be held accountable will be held accountable. Wow. Where can people, I mean, I'll email you later, but give me all the sites online and Facebook and YouTube where people can find you. So pretty much everything is of the handle Christy Lee TV. Okay. And it is spelled a little bit different just to make it difficult for everyone. Right. My name is spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-L-E-I-G-H TV. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Christy Lee TV, you can find me there. Uh, YouTube, Christy Lee TV. Um, and then I have a backup channel now on YouTube because <laughs> of the censorship. Chris, just Christy Lee spelled that same way. Um, you can go to ChristyLeeTV.com or K-L-I-M, which stands for Christy Lee Independent Media, K-L-I-M.news. You can go to that website. I'm also in the process of expanding to other platforms because of the censorship free speech issues. So I do have a rumble, Christy Lee TV, and I'll be expanding to BitChute and Telegram soon as well. Wow. It's a, it's a lot. It is. <laughs> it's just like, if you want your voice to be heard, you got to be copy-pasting on multiple platforms anymore. <laughs> yeah. I also think you need to be... Um, it, it feels like being sensitive isn't respected anymore. Like with social media, it's like it's forcing people to be thick skinned. And I, and I do feel like, okay, yeah, I, I can vibe with that. And, and you need to be more thick skinned to put yourself out there. But I also feel like people are sort of taking advantage of others in the sense that they're just going to name call you and throw darts at you. And they're like, I don't care. Just what, just get over it. I, I think it, the dynamics of social media are sort of disrupting uh, manners and decency. And it, it feels like you need to almost be a robot and not have emotions or feelings to really put yourself out there. And I think that's hard for me to do. I think it's, I think that's a good thing. I mean, I hmm. think that if you are responding emotionally, that it tells me that you're in a healthy place. <laughs> uh, for, for me, I am an extremely sensitive person. And um, it was very difficult when I would face any criticism. Being in television, you're always going to have some people that will make fun of your hair or outfit or whatever. And I used to really take that to, to heart and cry about it. And it's funny to see, like, to reflect back on how that used to 
hurt me and that that I did develop this thick skin. Now I now I don't really care. And now I'm like one step further where to now I take it a badge of honor when somebody is like really putting all their effort into trying to demonize me because it's like, wow, I'm really making a difference if you're putting this much time and effort into trying to insult me. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um but I do think that what you said is important. We don't want to we also don't want to lose touch of our sensitivity and um I think that we need to be part of the solution as far as when we do have difficult conversations to always try and be open-minded and come to a place of understanding and don't be like, like that's the example of not what to be like. So um, I, I, I always try to be very professional and respectful in my responses to even the most hateful comments. Like, sorry, you feel that way. Here's some, some more resources if you would like to look yeah. at it a little bit further. You know, but it's a good reminder, I think. Christy, thanks so much for responding and, and talking to me today. I, I always feel um, just fuller and better after having a talk on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to me. It was really cool to meet you and, and chat. I appreciate having actual conversations <laughs> as opposed to comments I know. on the keyboard. Yeah, I'm very, old, nice. I'm very old school that way. So it, it, it <laughs> feels good to do so. Um, well, I really appreciate your time. I'll, I'll edit this over the next like week or so, but I, I appreciate, yeah. yeah, I really, it was great to meet you and talk and, and continued, Good. continued success. You as well. Thank I you. I will follow and support you as well. <laughs> Likewise. I appreciate Have a good night. You too. All right. Bye. bye.